Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp, Resource Management, LLC, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Typically on this show, we talk to business people about their businesses. Today, we're changing that up a little, although we're talking about one of the most vital businesses in New Orleans. We're going to take a step back from the nuts and bolts of running a company and talk about running a small empire, the French Quarter. New Orleans' French Quarter is the defining image of New Orleans to the world, the beauty of its architecture, along with its hotels, restaurants, stores, bars, and live music, provide much of the reason New Orleans is a convention and tourist destination, and a worldwide brand synonymous with carefree fun. Now, for locals who call the French Quarter home, the perspective can be quite different. It might be best expressed by French Quarter resident Professor Mary Kornhauser, who said, we're a community, not a commodity. Professor Kornhauser is right. The French Quarter is a community. It's also arguably the city's single most valuable asset after, after Drew Brees. But today, I want to take a look at the French Quarter as a commodity from a local community point of view. I've been joined by two people who spend every day grappling with the competing interests of the French Quarter. Meg Lusto is the executive director of the Vucare Property Owners Residence Associates. Uh, Meg, welcome to lunch. Thank you for having me. And Carol Gignati is executive director of French Quarter Citizens Incorporated. Uh, Carol, glad to have you here. So excited to be here. Thank you, Peter. This is great. We've got a great topic here. Uh, in the French Quarter, there are over, and this is pretty amazing, over 30 merchant associations, homeowner groups, trade associations, and special interest groups, some of them with competing points of view, all of them claiming to have the same best interests of the city at heart. Now, Carol and Meg, let's start with your two organizations. What's the difference between property owners and residents on the one hand and citizens on the other? Uh, what's the difference between your two organizations? Right, our missions are, are very similar. We're concerned with the French Quarter as a neighborhood, and that's one thing that people tend to forget. In some cases, they refer to it as an entertainment district or a commercial district. But first and foremost, it is still a neighborhood. It's our first neighborhood, and it actually produces the authenticity that is the lure for tourists. The, the people who live there and maintain their homes, they're not making money off of being residents of the French Quarter, but they are contributing to the atmosphere and the environment that is so attractive to our 9 million visitors who want to come to the French Quarter. You don't hear people talking about going to Bourbon Street for the authenticity of Bourbon Street. <laughs> but you do hear them talking about that in terms of the rest of the French Quarter. And whether they realize it or not, the reason that they feel that way, the reason that they have that sense is because people actually live there. If it were all Bourbon Street, there might still be a lot of people coming, but they would be coming for different reasons. And we, we talk about that. People come to visit because they want to live like us. Uh, right. Very, very different. They, we're also joined at lunch by Dennis Brady. Dennis is an architect and serves on the Vucare Architectural Review Committee. Dennis, welcome out to lunch. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. I understand uh, no business or homeowner in the French Quarter can even put up an awning, much less a hotel or apartment building, without your committee signing off on it. Uh, what exactly is it that your committee signs off on? As architects, are you making decisions of taste and style, or are you, you enforcing guidelines that are handed to you from some of the committee? Yes. We do have a guidelines uh, that's been established for many years, and we... Um, uh, set the architectural criteria of the adjacent buildings, the character of, uh, of the street facades, and all the details associated with the exterior of the building. We have a soft side, which is... Uh, I always knew you had a soft side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, which has to do with just personal taste. And that's more difficult to uh, apply to someone's uh, proposal for renovation. So we have to s stick to a harder interpretation of like the the guidelines, which is a copy of it is here. So that's kind of where we are. We also have on the opposite side of us uh, agencies that control zoning and that control permitting and, and fire ex, ex, you know, emergencies. So those people have control over certain char uh, characteristics of the architecture that's being presented to us. Now, speaking of fires, I always like that tour you get at the French Quarter where it shows those emblems on the wall that if you didn't buy insurance, the firefighters wouldn't put your fire out? You ever see that? I think that's gone by the wayside. Yes, I understand. <laughs> just, just checking, just double checking. The, uh, the, let me ask a question to all of you. Um, the French Quarter has changed dramatically. I mean, uh, you, uh, the kind of residents that have been there. If you go back like 100 years, wh where did it progress out of? Well, I, our first preservationist is Elizabeth, was Elizabeth Warline, and we have her to thank for actually saving the remaining buildings that are part of the French Quarter. And of course, you know, we had the great fire, two great fires in the history of the French Quarter, and the buildings that remain are about 200 years old. And in the 1940s, uh, Elizabeth Warline took it upon herself to be the champion for the remaining buildings. And at that time, it was um, are these the very Warlines? Rundown. The Warlines? The, uh, Absolutely, yeah. uh, the, it was a very rundown neighborhood. Uh, we had a lot of immigrants that took up residence. And who was that? Was that the more the Italian community? The here? Italian community, the Sicilians. Um, Spanish, all manner of people that were coming to New Orleans and working in uh, various uh, labor, hourly Poor, wage earners yeah. and so forth. Um, but Elizabeth Warline saw a trend where um, city leadership thought that it would be best to just wipe it clean, just, just take out these old buildings, and Dennis, you can chime in, or, or Meg, um, <laughs> and build new. And we have instances where blocks, entire blocks are torn down, in particular the... Uh, uh, this court building that's in the middle of the French Quarter is representative of just a project that went awry, torn down all these beautiful historic buildings and built something new. Very and dark period. Very dark right, period. Right. In fact, the, if I can just chime in, the, um, the reason that there are so many vacant blocks or vacant lots on Rampart Street is because in the 1940s, the city council illegally and unconstitutionally exempted Rampart and I think a little part of Royal Street from mm -hmm. View Correct Commission oh, control. Mm -hmm. And so Which is why you're so sensitive now. Yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, we're a little sensitive. We see what happens when that protection goes away um, and, and short-sighted development occurs rather than having the careful guidance of the VCRA Commission and advocacy groups who are really looking at the long-term interests of the quarter. How long was it ago, uh, that they were going to put the freeway 
through the oh, French. Oh, that, that was, when, when was, was that? in the 70s. Yeah. 70s, right. Yeah. And yeah. That would have been the end of the world, right? Oh, be, been you're sitting there having your cafe au lait and your beignets uh, right next to the freeway. And yeah, it's right. so crazy. Yeah. I had the chance to go to Louisville, Kentucky last summer, and they did build a freeway yeah. along, their, right. along their riverfront. Yeah. And the biggest, nicest, so-called nicest hotel is right there. And... Uh, it, it was just unbelievable. You could be in that hotel and you couldn't even see the river and you could hear the whir of all the cars <laughs> going by. You know, that, that's romantic. That project yeah. got pretty <laughs> far along. And I'm, the thing that's really frightening to us, and we discovered all this when we were doing the World's Fair, was how did that project get so far along that they built part of the freeway underneath the convention center that, mm. before it started being objected to? Two things. So <clears throat> we've had folks on the show from uh, the tourism groups that have said uh, they would they, the French Quarter is too crowded and they're trying to get tourists to see the rest of the city uh, Boy, is that, that working I mean I, we have a lot there's a lot of great places outside of the quarter there what? are um, I think one of the main issues and we, we've discussed this with uh, the tourism people as well is the city doesn't really have a great public transportation system so if you've come here and you don't have a car or you just don't want to use your car it's often difficult to get oh, yeah, much further true. than the French Quarter one of the other issues is that we have about nine and a half million visitors now, but the um, tourism industry has talked about wanting to get over 13 million. And if that happens, unless there is a plan to help them get out of the French Quarter, they're all still at least going to go to the French Quarter. So we're talking about adding almost 50% more people to the quarter. And there's a statistic that I'd like to offer your listeners. Um, the city of Venice, which is much larger footprint than the French Quarter. The French Quarter is only half a square mile. This is not Venice, Louisiana. No, no, no. <laughs> Venice, Italy. Very small I place. I've I should clarify. <laughs> um, so Venice has a population of about 60,000 people. They get approximately 20 million visitors a year. So for every Venetian, there are 333 tourists. In the French Quarter, with 4,000 people and over 9 million visitors a year, for every French Quarter resident, there are 2,250 tourists. Yep. And there's no wow. real plan to manage that growth of tourism, which is sorely needed. If you look at the initiatives that are here and there, like finally we've got a comprehensive uh, initiative to get control of crime that is rampant in the French Quarter. That's just one piece of the puzzle. We need a comprehensive vision for the French Quarter so that it encompasses your infrastructure needs, uh, your growth development, uh, managing the number of people that are coming to the quarter. They, they don't all have to come to the quarter. They can go to other parts of the city. But there's nothing that is uh, all-encompassing and providing for a new vision for the French Quarter that will create a better experience uh, for not only our visitors, but especially for our residents. Well, let me ask you about something I hear about more and more, the idea of trying to push people a little bit out of Bourbon Street and maybe make Rampart more of a entertainment mm. era. Does that make sense? Um, on the surface, it sounds very reasonable until you look at Bourbon Street. And the city has demonstrated that it is incapable of managing what happens on Bourbon Street. And so if the city could prove to um, other businesses in the French Quarter and residents of the French Quarter that it, it could ensure that Bourbon Street, you know, that followed the rules and it wasn't complete, completely the Wild West like it is, right. um, then I think residents and other businesses would be willing to consider an expansion. Mm -hmm. But right now, Bourbon Street is something that 
um, is not appreciated by most residents and even other businesses. We get complaints from lots of businesses that adjoin Bourbon Street or that have to deal with the overflow from Bourbon Street or that mentality that people think that it's okay to you know run topless down Royal Street. I mean, these things happen all the time. Uh, it, people What's come to the quarter. <laughs> 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 I'm not talking about men. There's an odd end of the crime situation. There's a... The Bourbon Street's been developing since the 1940s. Richard Campanella wrote a great book just about Bourbon Street, and it's really a, a fantastic read. But a more recent occurrence is if you look at uh, what Meg was talking about, um, the, the lack of, of real enforcement of the zoning issues, um, Frenchman Street is a perfect example. It has okay. changed rapidly just in the last year. There's, um, maybe you can help yeah. out with this in terms of like the number of bars that are yeah operating as bars and they don't have the proper yeah. zoning or the right. proper licenses in exactly. place, <clears throat> there's no enforcement to make sure that what is supposed to be happening on Frenchman is what's happening there. Right. And it's, it is Wild West. It, it is. is just completely it out is. of control. The locals are not wanting to go there anymore because now it's a tourist destination. Yeah. Right. And it what, happened, what yeah. happened there is, you know, that, that was a, an organic strip. I mean, I remember going there in college and there were a few clubs here and it was, you know, Compared to nowadays, it was almost desolate. Mm -hmm. But you know, a real vibe started to happen there, and the neighborhood and the and the businesses wanted to codify that and make sure that it was all legal. So they came together and they came up with this great, what's called an arts and culture overlay. And the neighborhood and the businesses bought in because there were supposed to be limits and it was supposed to be a daytime and a nighttime economy. And what's happened, unfortunately, is that the city has not enforced any of those rules, and so it's all tipped to a nighttime economy. There aren't a lot of daytime businesses, and there are far more um, clubs than they were supposed to be. And then other clubs are like, wait a minute, we bought in, you know, and we've been playing by the rules. And I, I just, I don't think that when you see that happen, when you see people go into um, that kind of experiment in good faith, and then the city not hold up its end of the bargain, it just doesn't send the right message to anybody else who wants to get creative with zoning or right. creative with new entertainment zones. Well, let me ask you, maybe, maybe Dennis, uh, so many people have talked about the French Quarter being out of control. How would you define out of control? It's localized. You know, um, I think Royal Street is full of tourists, but it's a little more calm than you might find on Bourbon Street. Bourbon Street is a unique to its own I can entity. imagine living on Royal, but I couldn't I, I, Yeah, right. And I... Uh, it's been that way for a long time. Having grown up in New Orleans, I grew up in the age where I couldn't wait to get down in the French Quarter. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of try to, how to avoid the you know, <laughs> Bourbon Street. But I was there this morning and, you know, the controls on street cleaning, the controls on towing cars, it's, it's like a mountain uh, of people being assault, assaulting the, the system. And they're nipping away at it, but there's no... They're not even coming close to meeting the demand of all the people that are violating these little simple, you know, rules and regulations. We can't really end this without having a discussion about Airbnb. Mm. Sure. What what what's to be done? Oh, there are lots of things that could be done. The city could begin um, aggressive enforcement of some of the worst violators. I mean, people call my office; they call Carol's office. Not just from the French Quarter, but from all over the city. They're desperate for some kind of remedy. Because when you're living next to a house that used to have, you know, your cute little neighbors and they either sold their house or they got kicked out by the new owner who has turned it into a place that is rented out, you know, maybe it's to, um, you know, four Norwegian couples and they're perfectly nice. Mm. Or maybe it's a bachelorette party with 20 young women who <laughs> are literally singing Which from has the balcony at 3 a.m. Really, yeah, right. Sure, <laughs> sure. But, but, you know, and there, there are both extremes, but 
they're not your neighbors. Yeah. They're not in town for the same reasons yeah. you are. They don't have to get up and go to work right. or take the kids to school. They don't join the civic associations. They, they don't go to your church. They don't right. vote. They don't know that the garbage truck was supposed to come this morning and didn't come. They don't shop at the hardware store. So when you, you know, if this, if this just happened once a year in one house in one neighborhood in New Orleans, probably wouldn't be a big deal. It's happening everywhere now. I mean, we get calls from Mid-City, from the Lakefront, mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. Garden District, from New Orleans East. Let me just ask you a question. Airbnb, if you're in the French Quarter, it could be pretty lucrative, right? I mean, it must be. Uh, the reason extreme. people do illegal activity is often because they make a lot of money doing it. <laughs> We're going back to crime one here. That's <laughs> Criminals are not usually with the UNICEF organization. There's not like, uh, Oh, we're going to take a take a look at the inbox now, and that's when our producer picks a question that's come in from a listener. Grant, I can only imagine how many you got this week. Peter, I've got so many questions you're right today. Uh, I picked out two that I think we could just throw out to the table. Here's a good one perhaps to start with. Architecturally, who is the slavish adherence to the past serving? Isn't turning the quarter into a living museum contributing to the tourist-skewed commercialization of it? That's... A difficult question. We believe that we are, are saving the history uh, for the people that live there. It just so happens that it's also on the National Registry and we're saving it as a commodity. But I believe that you have to weigh the, the difficulties of modern uh, technology like air conditioning and uh, uh, television and all those things that weren't around when the French Quarter was designed to incorporate that in the living uh, situation without letting it overshadow the architectural history. And that's, that's, all, that's one of our biggest fights. For someone moving to New Orleans or a local looking for a new place to move to, what would you say is attractive to encourage someone to move to the quarter? Oh, uh, we do a, a series of events called At Home in the View Carré. It's once a month, except during the summer, and um, it's always in a, the private home of someone, and we just have some, you know, some wine, and it's, it's like a cocktail house, cocktail um, hour open house, and the whole point is to show anybody who wants to come for a very small fee, um, you know, what it's like to live in the quarter, and we always do a little booklet to prepare for that, and we ask basically the same questions, and when we ask people, why do you live in the quarter, we get almost invariably the same exact answer. Because it's like a village, because I know all my neighbors, because I can walk everywhere, because the quality of life and the experiences that I have just stepping out my door are unlike anything I've ever had anywhere else in this world. Mm -hmm. And the architecture is beautiful, the history that is there, uh, the community that is maintaining these uh, beautiful historic homes, they all have a kindred spirit and a best interest for the French Quarter. It really is a very tight, small community of like-minded individuals. They're sophisticated, they like to go out and eat, uh, they, like, they support our cultural events. Very, very rich experience for anyone who lives in the Quarter. And you don't have to be rich regarding um, the, the beautiful old buildings uh, that are threatened by large trucks that have come through the oh, French yeah, Quarter and the vibrations. We've seen buildings yes. recently collapse. Boy. Um, We're all getting uh, exposure to that mm -hmm. with Uptown, you know. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, Uptown, too. Yeah. 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 Um, the French, the, uh, just recently, the uh, city council passed a measure to start looking at um, reining in these oversized vehicles, putting standards in place. Um, regarding access, size of vehicles, weight of vehicles, where they can travel. And there's horror stories. You can um, look at footage of vehicles trying to turn corners and taking out 
side, yeah. you know, the whole corner of a building. Um, and we have to do everything we can to, main, to minimize that kind of impact. And this does bring up, you know, one of the tensions between preservation and what some people would call economic development. You know, the, the businesses are going to want to get their goods delivered as efficiently, as cost-effectively as possible. And so while it may be cheaper to have an 18-wheeler deliver your beer, or a 10,000 pound truck deliver your beer. It's it's really, you know, if, I don't know, I'm not an economist, but the externalities, other people are absorbing that cost and, and maybe not today, maybe not next year, but at some point, somebody's going to be have to be responsible for the damage that that's is being true. caused. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we're so grateful to the city council for stepping in and adding another layer of regulation. We now are hopeful to see the enforcement component of that mm -hmm. so that it won't just be, you know, words on paper, but our organizations, all three of ours, I, I think I can say, are looking at what's going to keep the French Quarter around the longest in the best shape for the residents and future generations. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, what's going to make me an extra $10,000 this month or what's going to cut my cost by 50%. Mm -hmm. Those Absolutely. are all important decisions for businesses, but they can't come at the expense of the French Quarter. Carol Kenyatti, Meg Lustow, Dennis Brady, uh, keeping the French Quarter rooted in the history that built it by allowing it to move forward and keep it livable and commercially viable is an ongoing battle with many fronts. You've shed some light on some important issues that affect the French Quarter residents and the city as a whole. I know there's plenty more we could talk about, but we're out of time. Thanks to all of you for joining me on Out to Lunch today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for Thank having you. Great having you. My, my guests on Out to Lunch have been Meg Lusto, Executive Director of the Vucare Property Owners, Residents and Associates, Carol Gignati, Executive Director of the French Quarter Citizens Incorporated, and Dennis Brady, member of the Vucare Architectural Review Committee. You can find out more about Meg's and Carol's respective residents and citizens and Dennis's designs by following the links on our websites, www.wno.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merrill. Super sleuth Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and www.no.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table again here next week at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp, Resource Management, LLC, and 30 North Investments.